there are so many deaths and so many sad, horrible things coming out of this period that we're in right now, this weird sort of cultural moment of COVID-19. But I think that if there is any kind of silver lining, I think a lot of people are really starting to appreciate where things come from. Hey, you, stop what you're doing. Uh, Unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery or if you're doing medicine on someone. But if you're doing medicine on someone, stop listening to this podcast. Okay, look down at what's in your hands. If they're empty, look at the closest object nearby. Where did that thing come from? What were all the steps that went into making it? Not just physically, but culturally. What parts of the world had to already exist so that it could? The conversation I'm bringing to you today is one that made me think a lot about the things in our lives that are so fundamental we don't even think about them. The invisible forces that shape our lives. For those of you listening while we're all still in lockdown, which of those invisible forces has the change in our living situation made you recognize? Keep that in your mind as we talk about the show today. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed making it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to At Least There's This, a show about some of the small good things in our quarantine of a world. Uh, it is, what day is it? It's May, the, it's May, and no one knows what day it is anymore because we have lost all concept of time. Uh, We all live alone in our apartments like a very bad 1980s sci-fi movie. It's getting a little bit tiring how much you can meditate and go to the mountains to walk. Everyone's wanting something else, so I'm hoping uh, this show can give you some of that conversation you are lacking. But in a world where there is that much isolation and boredom, at least there's... Yeast! I am so excited by my guest today. Guys, I am joined by friend, YouTuber, science communicator, geneticist, documentary filmmaker, Dr. Alex Danis. Hello, I am very excited to be talking about yeast today, one of my favorite microorganisms. It, it's, a, it's a good one. I can't think of any others that I am glad to stuff into my mouth. No, I mean, well, uh, I would say lactobacillus. Which is what makes yogurt. Yogurt's pretty tasty. Um, But yeah, yeast is really up there with all the good baked goods and alcohol and all kinds of good stuff. So yeast, yeast is a pretty great one. Okay, I'm very excited to talk about yeast. But before we get into yeast, I have to ask a personal question. Alex, would you describe yourself as an optimist or a pessimist? Okay, so I've been thinking about this because I... This is going to sound like a non-answer, but I feel like I'm both in different scenarios. I feel like I am an internal pessimist and an external optimist. Like, when I'm thinking about the broader world, I think I'm way more optimistic than most people. Like, I have some faith in humanity, which I think is more than a lot of people have right now. Um, I think that there are a lot of good things out there. I think that, like, ultimately, you know... I'm trying to do good for the world. So I think that there are a lot of good, positive things out there. So I think outwardly I'm an optimist, but I think internally I'm a pessimist. And I say this because thinking back on sort of doing my PhD research, 
whenever I would meet with my advisor, there was a clear divide where I was always the pessimist about my research and he was always the optimist about my research. And it worked so well because I would come in and be like, we need to do this experiment five more times. And he'd be like, hold on, you did a good job. How about two more times? And like, we would find a good balance that way. Um, So I think that I'm very like internally skeptical and critical and... Yeah, a little pessimistic about like what I'm doing, but I think that drives me because I have such greater optimism for the outward world that I want to do good things. And so like I think good things can be done and so I want to do them and my like internal pessimism is like, but you're not doing good enough. And so I strive to do better things. So is it healthy? I don't know, but I think I'm both. It's that that sort of cycle of never feeling good enough. So you, you know, it's a very yes. anime cycle. Like, yes. I must succeed. Where where do you think either or both of those come from? Like the, the belief that good can be done in the world through effort isn't a belief that yeah. everybody holds. Or the belief that I will never, eh, that that's too dark than what you said, but that I can't. I have not done it yet or I have not completed the task. Those are both, those aren't ingrained no. beliefs. So where do you think you? Yeah, I think, um, I think the optimism about the world part, I don't know, just comes from lived experience that I think, and again, this is totally coming from like a place of privilege, but like I've seen good things happen. Like I'm sitting next to a very good doggo right now. Like I know that there are good things out there and I have experienced good things. And so I believe that I can put more out there into the world. I think the the internal pessimism came from just like, I was a kid who like in school, I needed all the points, right? Like, if you could get 100 points on a test, well, why wouldn't you work to get 100 points on the test? Like, you should, like, because they're there, and so you must have to do that. Um, and so I think that I was, and I don't say this in a negative way, but I think that, like, you know, my parents were always wanting me to strive to be my best, and, like, the people in my life always wanted me to strive to be my best, and so I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because of that, Um And that's just something I've sort of carried through life and have had to like, you know, overcome stuff like imposter syndrome at different points in time because of that. But I think it does drive me to want to do a lot. (laughs) So there's something interesting to me there that there there is an outcome because plenty of people, I think, I mean, admitting to imposter syndrome is important because I think it's something that a lot of us feel, especially like. You are an extremely high-functioning person. Uh, I've noticed you do lots of things since I've known you for about a year. Um, but that there is there's some payoff or some outcome, like some goal to be reached, not everybody has that. So like, have you noticed in your life, like, oh, this beautiful thing happened because of effort? Not just yours, like it could be something you've seen that inspired you even globally. Yeah, yeah. that's a great question. Um, I think, yeah, I think thinking small first, like I have set a lot of goals for myself in life. And like, again, I think think a lot of my beliefs really come back to like my childhood. Um, And so this is so nerdy. 
but I was, I took Taekwondo as a kid growing up. And so I set that goal of getting a black belt. And then I got a second degree black belt and I got a third degree black belt. And like, I worked my butt off for those. Like, and that to me was such like a clear picture of like, I am putting in physical work. Like not even, there was emotional and intellectual work there too but like it was such a clear payoff of like I have gotten up early every morning for a year and run three miles a day to get my time down from like x to y kind of thing and I did it and like that was such like a clear I set a goal I did the work I got the goal um and I think like professionally I've had goals like that too um, which, you know, would take way longer to describe. Um, but thinking about like, but I think that's sort of where it comes from is that like, I had these experiences early on where like a goal was set. I worked for the goal. I got the goal. Um, and was thankful that they were always within my bounds. But yeah, globally, gosh, I, I guess I feel a little more, uh, adrift on answering that. I'm like, I think cause I'm thinking too big. I'm trying to think of like, a world-shifting project uh, off the top right. of my head. I mean, you are part of one as a scientist. I'm trying to be. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, there's tons there, right? Like, thinking back to, like, you know, penicillin, right? And, like, I'm going to pull up polio right. vaccine, right? Like, all these vaccines were, like, great amounts of effort were put in and, like, hundreds of thousands, like countless lives were saved because people put in effort and people tried to do good in the world. So yeah, that should probably have been the one that came to my mind or easiest was like science. I have noticed with a lot of scientists, it can be very easy to forget how uh, important or how much of like an engineering project science is that it, it like rivals the Hoover Dam as a thing that like was is hard to build. And so sometimes, like, you know, you, I'll notice with scientists, like, oh, well, maybe this or that. It's like, what yeah. about the thing? That the you giant do? thing. Yeah, yeah, I think because so much of it, like, again, like, the, for the Hoover Dam, you can see brick by brick that work going up and, like, you can mm-hmm. get the energy out at the end. And so much, I feel like a lot of science, at least the branches of science that I'm involved with, are a little bit harder to see, right? Like, if I'm sequencing yeah. DNA, like the output is a computer file and maybe the impact is right. great for a patient or maybe the impact is great for a population. But like, again, it's not as easy to see like lives improved as it is like a giant wall in a river. The Hoover Dam tells its own story where yes. science needs communicators, which is what you do now, right? Principally. Yes. So let, let's tear down the fourth wall really briefly. So we're now a day later from the conversation you've just heard. Uh, Alex is a new dog mom, and that comes with some trials and tribulations. Uh, Alex, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, so uh, I've had about six hours of sleep in the past 48 hours um, because we got a new dog who is an adult, um, not a puppy. Uh, she's about three years old, but I am every bit as concerned about her as I think someone could possibly be because suddenly I am responsible for another life in this world completely dependent on me. And so uh, 
she she was very nervous yesterday and I think I was talking very loudly about science things which was a little scary um dogs she had hate science. dogs hate science I know it's a known fact that dogs just hate science um which is going to be great for our household uh and so she I think was having a bad dream but I panicked and was like what if her potassium is low and she's having a seizure um which is a very me thing to think but so we took a day she went on many walks she's totally fine um she's very sad that I'm talking about science again but uh we're all good now so here we are yes Uh, we were talking about how science communication tells the story tells the stories of science to make it more digestible to other people uh, because science is a very broad thing that can be hard to understand and the reason i bring that up and also use the word digestible is that yeast itself is something that can be communicated about yeah absolutely Uh, yeah i found it fascinating that you chose a topic that has so many layers of stories. Uh, do you want to talk about why you chose yeast as a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. So when you pitched this to me, the first things that came to mind, which I think are very indicative of where I am uh, in life under staying at home right now, is that I was like, well, at least there's dogs and yeast. Um, and I think dogs is too obvious, and yeast has some some super cool stories about it. I think the immediate reason why I was so excited about yeast is because I had just discovered a new type of yeast in my kitchen. Um, not not di- not new to science, new to me. Um, so I had been trying to make sourdough and just failing um, for a number of reasons uh, that I think have to do with cool biology. But like I had just given up on the sourdough starter for the third time that everybody is making uh, in lockdown right now. And instead, we'd ordered pizza, and our pizza place was also <laughs> selling yeast. I give up. Yeast. Let's order pizza. Yeah, no, I, we gave yeah. up, and I was ordering pizza, and they were also selling yeast. And so I ordered, and it was it seemed like a great deal. It was a pound of yeast for $7. Wow. Which, exactly. So I was like, yes, give me a pound of yeast for $7. And it showed up. And I was expecting active dry yeast, which is like those little pellets you get in all the packets. This was live, fresh yeast. It was a block, like a block of butter of solid, wet yeast, um, which smelled exactly as yeasty and like kind of delicious, but also clearly a microorganism as you would expect a block of wet yeast to be. And like... I had never used it before. I talked with my parents and like, it's a thing my grandparents used. Like it's been around forever, but you don't see it much anymore. Um, But like, it's this like crumbly block of clay, but it worked great. Like the first thing I used it for, I baked um, a loaf of challah because like, that's like a pretty good test dough of like, are my ingredients working? Let's make a challah. Um, and yeah, my people's breads. Yes. Uh, like just, we got to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. Either you got no yeast or you got something that yeast is going to love. Um, those are your two options really. Nothing too complicated in the yeast there. No, no. Um, and so, you know, I used it and it was, it smelled delicious and it like frothed up so beautifully and it rose amazingly. And like, 
it just made me really happy for the fact that like I took very simple things in my kitchen and I put them together and the yeast ate it and like went under an like a chemical reaction and it ate it and it produced something new and that something new caused this bread to rise and it was beautiful and delicious and just like we the two of us demolished this giant loaf of bread in like two and a half days um and I just love that like that's a thing that can happen in my kitchen but also happens everywhere around the world that like I think especially right now everybody's baking like the reason why we're having trouble finding flour and yeast and all that is not because like those are things that you totally need in an emergency but because people have turned to baking as like a source of comfort and like something to do at home and so I think a lot of us right now are like yes give me the yeast I need that yeast baby I gotta wonder because you you said how good the yeast smelled yeah but that it's also a microorganism yes you gotta wonder like what came first I know did one of our ancestors think like well I'll eat this stinky thing I'll put it and see what happens or did it just smell good yeah I don't know because it's funny, like, it definitely smells like fermentation. Like, it definitely smells like something going bad, right? Like, there is food that has sugar in it, and, uh, you know, a fungus has said, I'm going to eat that sugar and, like, give off alcohol and carbon dioxide most of the time. Um, and, yeah, I have to wonder if it was, like, there was rotting fruit on the ground, and we were real hungry, and maybe we saw, like, a bird or something eating the rotting fruit, and we were like, all right, it's not going to kill us. And then we ate the rotting fruit, and we were like, hey, not only does this taste kind of good, smelled funky, but tastes good, and I feel great right now. I think I can dance. Yeah. I think I can dance. I think I'm way funnier than I am, and I think I can sing. Hey, give me some of that fruit that Grog ate. Yeah. I want some of that shit. Yeah. Let's get into that fruit. <laughs> Let's let's see if it does bread too. Mhm. I do it's, wonder about that. I wonder cuz I don't I should have probably looked that up, but I don't know that story. I don't know like who figured out the first yeasted bread. Yes. Right, did alcohol. Alcohol probably came first yeah. cuz like monkeys get drunk. Yes. Yep. So So alcohol was probably the first yeast, but then how did it become bread right. or yeah. Yeah. I it is amazing that so many cultures use it and you gotta wonder is it was there a single like source culture with yeast or was it co-evolutionary because you know you see it everywhere because it is everywhere right yeah I don't know and it, it does make me think too about things like sourdough right which like something like a sourdough pops up in a lot of places or even just fermented foods pop up in places around the world, right? Like you have fermented pickles in places, you have things like kimchi, like you have all of these different foods from around the world that start with fermentation as a source that people find delicious and healthy and like, I don't want to say that it's a preservation method, but when you think of things like kimchi or pickles or something, you're taking a food that would have gone sort of bad if you just left it out in the sun to like rot mm -hmm. on its own and you're doing sort of this controlled degradation and digestion of it that does help it stay longer so I wonder if like it started there so it started with alcohol it started with fermentation and then like we had flour and water sitting out that like 
turned into a dough and we were real hungry. So bake that up. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I would imagine that it was from those like natural processes that like yeast is all around us. Like yeast is on you right now. Like yeast is in the air. Yeast is outside. Yeast is on you. Like you are covered in microorganisms right now, including bacteria and fungi. And so I think it was probably just something that was, it was everywhere. And so people were like, hey, tastes better that way. Like if we can use that to our advantage. Um, I do remember hearing a story and I don't know, I've tried to look into this before. Um, and cause I want to do like a whole deep dive on this and the sources are spotty. So I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to make that magic leap at some point from the internet to books, uh, to find the better story. Um, but that beer brewing, uh, was sort of originally thought to be kind of a weird kind of magical process because you took all these ingredients and then you stirred a magic stick in them and they turned into beer and like, it wasn't actually a magic stick. The stick just had a bunch of yeast on it. Like, this stick was colonized with yeast. But the brewers, you know, who were, you know, some dude in a hut at the edge of the village didn't really know that. They just knew that if I took this stick and I stirred it in this stuff, it becomes delicious. Um, and they were, they didn't know it, but they were culturing the yeast that was then added to their mix. I, I love that about human cultural evolution i'm reading right now about human cultural evolution that like a lot of times you don't have to know what's happening yeah you just have to know a thing happened and then culture evolves with that thing and they keep sort of like pulling each other up we're like well we're colonizing more yeast because like we we don't know why but we're keeping the yeast alive by accident yeah if you accidentally feed the yeast sugar it'll stay alive and then you get more more beer and you just like push and pull and push and pull and it's this cool thing about human culture that we create our own niches without knowing it until we're like i we probably didn't know what yeast was for years yeah like thousands of years until already it was our entire culture right right totally and i think that's i mean that's such a cool thing about science too is that like we it's exactly what you just said like something is happening and we don't know why so now we're going to figure it out, right? Like, you don't right. have to know why it's happening from the start. Like, science can come in sort of retroactively and be like, all right, we saw a thing. Why in the world did that thing happen? Like, where did it come from and how did it work? And, like, it's so much of science is making the invisible visible. And I think that's such, like, a, a cool example of that to be like, look, we're making beer and we don't know how this works. <laughs> But it's great. And so, like, science, tell us how the beer is happening, you know? That is my my other example I was thinking of is so much darker. <laughs> but I was so glad you did that because I was thinking of, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Lister's germ theory. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we're killing all these women in childbirth, and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And it's only, like... A hundred years later, it's like, oh, because we're covered in these things called germs. Because we're disgusting, right? Like, we're dirty and we're delivering babies. And, like, that dude over there tells us to wash our hands. But, like, man, how's anybody going to know we're a good doctor if we don't have dirt and blood all over our doctor's coat? Like, that's a sign of a good doctor. Find me the dirtiest man to to pull my tooth. Yes, exactly. And like, oh, gosh. But but yeah, they exactly same thing that like they observed that like, hey, if you wash your hands, fewer people die. And like, 
we didn't know why, but we knew it was working. And then science came in and once again was like, oh, those invisible microorganisms, they're with us all every step of the way. That's a cool thing about humans and why I like that you chose a topic like this because we we find things wherever we are to make the world more interesting, even if we don't understand it. We're just so good at recognizing patterns that like, well, I see something happens when I do X, so I'm going to keep doing X. I love the intersection of food and science because it's exactly that, that like before I understood how yeast fermentation worked or like what yeast was, I was in the kitchen making bread with my mom and like had no understanding of what this was doing at like a scientific level or a chemical level or any of that, but just knew that like I mix these things together and they're delicious. Something's happening. I, as like a six-year-old, don't totally understand what it is, but I know that it's great. And then like got older and even, even at the most basic level was like, oh, that powder is flour and that powder is salt. They do different things in this bread. That's a first step towards comprehension. And then you go on to like, oh, the yeast is alive? Are you sure? Are you crazy? We're putting lot, it's a powder. What are you talking about? Just that slow building that I don't think people think about. As you're learning to cook, as you're learning to do anything in the kitchen, it is all science. It is all chemistry. It is all living organisms. Even if you're not thinking about it that way, if you're somebody who's like just learning to cook, even as an adult, you might not understand what the Maillard reaction is, but you know if you let something brown in that pan longer, it's getting more delicious. Just learning those things in the kitchen, like you are, you are so perfectly doing science in a, of the actual act of the scientific method of like, try something, learn from it, try again. Um, at the most basic of like, I have a hypothesis, this recipe is going to be delicious. I'm going to try adding more salt. Oops, I messed up. That's a note. And I'm going to try it again later with less salt. That is, I think, doing the scientific method in everybody's daily lives in a way that we don't even think of, but that like, I wish more people did think of because I think it would make the mystery of the, you know, ivory tower of science so much right. less mysterious that like, what I did in the lab every day was just cooking. I wasn't making food, that wasn't my output, but it was like, I have a protocol or recipe and I try it and maybe I do a good job or maybe I do a bad job, but either way I learn like that's a protocol I'm gonna do again or I need to make changes. I need to add more salt. I need to add more sugar. I need to do these things. Like they're such the same process and I I love that about it. Um, and I just, I, I, have a, I have a goal to like make that clearer to people that like science is just fancy cooking. There's this idea I've been reading about a lot recently about, like, competence without comprehension. Mm. That, like, you don't need to comprehend what you're doing to be competent at it until, like, much later. And I feel like you cooking in the kitchen with your mom when you're six, then when you go and start learning science, you're like, oh, this is just, this is the cooking thing. Yes. Like, I remember I sucked at science class. That's why I thought for the longest time I hated science until physics. Because, mm. like... Like you, I also did martial arts as a kid, and it was like, oh, oh, pressure is just do I use a do I use a fist or do I use an elbow? Yeah. Oh, I get it now, and it's like, oh, because you have this com you have this competence of a thing before you comprehend it, right? And the yeast is giving you this competence in how microbiology works before you even start looking at yes. it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I am going to uh, take this on a twist that I hope that you are not expecting because you just used the word competent. 
Um, and in the lab, we use something called competent cells uh, to... I wasn't expecting. No, I know you weren't. But we use things like yeast and E. coli in the lab um, as factories to make stuff we want. And so they're often referred to uh, when they are a form of yeast or E. coli that are like really good at taking up what we want to give them. We call them competent cells. As opposed to those fucking bacillus who can't do anything. They don't know what is going on. They have Get no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we use these cells in the lab as little tiny factories. And so a lot of times we use E. coli because E. coli is like, oh, you just gave me DNA. I love this DNA. I'm going to make a billion copies of this DNA and give it back to you. And then you kill the E. coli and you get all this like DNA replication that you <laughs> wanted. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. Um, but we use yeast a bunch in the lab because yeast cells are actually really close to us. Like they're eukaryotic cells, which just means that they have like a nucleus like we do. And so they're structured like our cells. And so we use them all the time in the lab to make proteins because they're going to fold those proteins similar to how we do. And so you can give yeast like a, you know, a human gene that encodes for a protein and say, okay, make this. And it will make a bunch of it and it'll fold that protein up for you. So you can do a bunch of experiments in the lab really fast and really easy because these cells will just like be your photocopier. They will like make a ton of stuff for you. Um, and so just coming back around to that smell of yeast, like I, I love the smell of yeast both because it reminds me of like baking in the kitchen and also because it reminds me of like the warm culture room in the lab where like, don't eat it, do not eat it. It's just these like swirling big flasks of yeast that like are basically sitting in a fancy chicken broth and just like turning out protein and turning out stuff you want. Even though I knew in that lab, like this is not a thing I should eat. Like it still smelled simultaneously funky and good in like the best possible way like i loved when i was culturing yeast it just smelled great and we use brewer's yeast like we use saccharomyces cerevisiae like that is the yeast that is used in labs is brewer's yeast so like yeast on the stick yeah it is it is the yeast that like you are thinking of if you think of a yeast smell like it's that and it's great i so you have without me even goading you touched on the two ways I like to talk about topics. I like to ask my guests about the small G good and the big G good of their topic. And the small G is like, it's fun to bake or it's nice to get drunk. And the big G good is this like universal, like it's given us culture. It's uh, literally. Yes, literally. Uh, Yeah, it's like promoted science. And I... I like when a guest goes there on their own and they can't, like, you almost can't peel apart the two G's of yeast. No. No, I think, especially when we think about the food and alcohol side of it, that alcohol is such a huge part, exactly as you just said, of culture for so many different cultures um, and has, you know, I mean can have negative downsides. Like, I don't want to just talk about alcohol as, like, this wonderful thing we all love to drink. Like, alcohol can have, you know, big, serious repercussions and problems, but, like, is a foundational part of so many cultures and so many cultural practices and can just be a fun thing. Like, it is a fun recreational drug that a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people partake in. Um, And I think especially in the U.S. is a big part of our culture. Um, 
especially I think of our generation that like going out and having a glass of wine or going out and having a beer or something with friends like is a really big cultural thing um and so like big c culture of like thousands of years of humans like coming together as people and sharing food and sharing drink small c culture of like you and i going out to the hermosillo down the street and having a beer when it reopens kind of thing Um, And then also, like, big C culture of, like, creating stuff in the lab that has let us learn so much more about disease and develop new therapeutics and drugs. And, like, I – one of the labs that I rotated in was a lab that used yeast to study Alzheimer's disease. Like, we were studying how cells responded to different uh, genes and drugs uh, in Alzheimer's in yeast – Because yeast are just so, they're so different but so similar that you can study so many different human diseases in them, which I think, you know, is definitely something that people don't think of as often, but is just as helpful and just as important to, I would say, every branch of biomedical medicine that has happened. Like, at some step of the way, yeast was used to create a DNA circle called a plasmid, which are really important, or it was used to make a protein, or it was used to test something. Like, I think you would be hard-pressed to find any biomedical innovation, not, like, technology-wise, but, like, in the lab-wise of, like, drug or therapeutic that at some point along the way did not have some sort of foundation in yeast, in just S. cerevisiae brewer's yeast. Do you almost feel like you know a secret? I do. Yeah, totally. Like getting, when I first learned that too, because I think I was in, I was in college when I learned that like, okay, we use yeast in the lab, but it was still sort of like a, okay, I guess, you know, it was important down the road, but like I wasn't doing it day to day kind of thing. So I don't think I realized it as much, but like when I, so I got to grad school and was like, oh my God, like we're studying Alzheimer's in yeast and this isn't wild to everybody, like was crazy and like was so cool. Um, and yeah, it does feel like a secret that I want people to know. Like I, I mean, I already am that person at a bar who's like, did you know like this crazy fact about something? But I totally want to be like, did you know that like that same yeast that is making that thing that you are tasting right now that is delicious is also helping people around the world like every single day. Um, and that's just so cool. But like, yeah, it is a secret, like not because we're hiding it, but because it's just yeast aren't very, uh, photogenic. They're not very, they're not, they're not, they, they, they need rouge. They do. Um, and they're not very charismatic. Like they could use some like charm lessons. I really do think. Um, so when you think of research, like you think of beautiful pictures of like cells that are stained with fluorescent dyes and you think about like, or at least uh, this is, this is very biased. This is what I think that people think about medical research. You think about mice, right? Cause like you can see a mouse in a generic stock photo of a lab and be like, they're doing the science, right? Like you can see these bigger things and be like, that is the science. Um, but like yeast doesn't look like much, like it looks like that kind of tan stuff that's in your packet of yeast. Like it's not beautiful. Uh, smells great, but like just looks like a blob. 
Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't really get the credit that I think it deserves in the media for, like, how much good it does for science. This makes me tie some connections to, I mean, the situation we're in right now where everybody's stuck at home and we're all realizing what makes our culture run that we didn't realize actually makes our culture run like just being able to go outside yeah there are there are things like yeast that are so important to culture Mm -hmm. that uh, so many elements of our culture could not happen without this thing but we don't think about it like if you ask even like you know, if you ask a scholar, like, what is human culture based on? They're going to say things like language and writing and uh, and forms of government. But then there are these other things that are just as vital, like like a, a bacteria. No, sorry. Yeast is a fungus, It's a right? fungus, yeah. Like a, a, a fungus yeah. that's everywhere that our whole culture is in some way scaffolded on. Yeah. Absolutely, because I mean, again, like think about almost any culture you want to think of. That's probably too broad, but think of the the thing that comes to mind right now is Italy, right? Like think of the culture of Italian food, like without wine, right? Like think of think of the entire religion of Catholicism without sacramental wine, right? Like it's. It's not that, like, it couldn't exist without it, but, like, there, it's, like, a huge, I remember even being, because I, you know, I'm Catholic, and I was raised Catholic, and, like, I remember even as a kid just being, like, this thing that I'm not allowed to have, like, as a child, um, is, like, such an integral part of this, like, place that I go every week and is, like, very revered, and I, I don't want to go into, like, a religion deep dive here, but, like, I think it's, it would be interesting to think of all these cultural practices um, from the very simple of like having a glass of wine with dinner or having a beer with dinner or having, you know, any of these other things to the like very regimented cultural of something like religion where alcohol plays a key role and like not huge amounts of drinking of it, but like plays a very important uh, symbolic role. Well, you already, so I was raised Jewish, I'm Jewish culturally, but the Friday night meal, the the Shabbos meal is challah, which is a raised bread and wine. Yeah. So you couldn't have Judaism without yeast. The whole Passover story, yeast is, yeast is a central character like in a, uh, like in a play, like the character that's not there. Yes. Because it's like, oh, we couldn't leaven the bread. So that story would be meaningless if there was not yeast. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, it's, I had not thought of either of those connections until babbling into it about 30 seconds ago. But yeah, like for both, for a lot of Judeo-Christian religions, alcohol is really, uh, really like a central figure. And not always, I mean, sometimes like, you're going to drink a lot of it at some celebration or something. But, like, Mm -hmm. just even as a symbol of, like, yeast being missing or yeast being present, like, at least for Judeo-Christian stuff, like, which I think is a large part of culture for many nations and many populations and many people, um, yeah, yeast is is holding up a lot of it. There's a lot of yeast under there. 
Right. It, almost in a way, you could say that religion is a way for yeast to promalgamate itself. Yeah. Ooh, I kind of like that. That, like, yeast is yeah. spreading everywhere, like, through... Ooh, I I wish I was a better religious scholar who could make some sort of funny yeast is God joke here right now and, like, make it really stick. Yeah. But th- there's something there. There's something there that future me is going to kick myself at, like, 2 a.m. tonight for not making a yeast is God joke somehow. Text it to me, and I'll put it in the notes. Okay, cool. Uh, for any of my listeners listening on my end, my neighbor is blasting ranchero music right now, but that's that's quarantine, baby. Yeah. Um, th- this keeps bringing me back to the purpose of this podcast, not the ranchero, but um, <laughs> that there is... You can look around anything in your life. And it's like, it could be ho-hum, right? I'm, I'm looking at my room right now, right? Whatever, I got a table, I got a rug, I got like a, a cup in front of me. It could be like, well, whatever, this is my life. Or if you look at it another way, you're like, well, it's amazing that there is this glass cup in front of me. How, how did that happen? Yeah. Because it's not easy. And how, did, how do I have beer in the fridge? Right? Like, even that little of a thing, every single thing in our lives is mind-blowing. Yes. Totally. And I think, actually, that, like, this... There are so many deaths and so many sad, horrible things coming out of this period that we're in right now, this weird sort of cultural moment of COVID-19. But I think that if there is any kind of silver lining, I think a lot of people are really starting to appreciate where things come from, right? Like, from the most basic level of, like, taking for granted that you can just go to the little shop down the street and grab something, um, and when that's taken away or when that becomes a lot harder, like, from your first acquisition level to way back to, like, things like food of, like, where does the milk in your fridge come from? And, like, where does the meat on your table come from? And, like, things that I think... I, you know, I, I'm just, I think, a very inherently curious person. So, like, I think I try and think of those things a lot. Like, I think I've spent a lot of time trying to think about, like, the things that I bring into my life and where do they come from. Um, but I think that that's a conversation I'm having with so many more people now and a thing that I'm thinking of so much more about things like the mug that I'm drinking out of and, like, the computer cables that I'm using right now and, like, I need a new one and where's it going to come from and, like, where were the parts for that computer cable sourced from and, like, this giant global network of stuff and, like, the technology that had to go into my lamp. Like, oh my god, like, the technology of electricity that was invented so that this lamp could be giving me terrible lighting right now. Like, um... Yeah, I think I think we're all thinking a lot more about the things that are around us and where they came from and just appreciating them so much more. Like I that block of yeast that came to me with my pizza was both like great because it gave me bread, but also ha- gave me just like this wonderful moment of also connecting with other people because I was like, what is this thing in this paper bag that just showed up at my house? And like, I texted my parents and I was telling them about the wet yeast because I was like, so my, I'll step back and say that like my uh, 
maternal grandparents like owned a donut shop at one point in time right so like if anybody's gonna know about weird yeast like it was probably my mom through them right and my mom was like yeah that's what my man Pippa used to use all the time and like I texted one of my friends who also bakes a bunch and she was like oh my god I've only ever heard of that I've never seen it and like I was sending pictures to people and like you know at least there's yeast that like I could have this like awesome moment of connection with other people both around like I'm going to bake this bread and I'm going to use this recipe that was like part from the New York Times but then the New York Times kicked me off of my free subscription so it was part from over here and then I posted pictures of it on Instagram and people were like what does the inside look like oh my god it looks delicious oh my god give me your recipe and then like oh I made the greatest pretzels the other week and had like I was sending the pretzel recipe to everybody and just like the fact that like Yeast does all of these huge, big G good things, but also, like, just in this weird time, gave me all these little G good connections with the people around me, even people that I could not, like, physically break that bread with. Like, I was mm. doing some, like, Zoom bread breaking with a bunch of people because of that yeast, like, was so little G but also personally big G good for me that like I still have this block of yeast in my fridge and I got to figure out what to do with it because I got a pound of wet yeast and like I got to get to bacon, man. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I got a, I got a pound of wet yeast and we're going to make some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn, Alex. That was, if there's ever a place to end on, (laughs) that was it. Wow. Thank you for that. Was a, a the conversation that I needed? I think today I'm gonna get baking after Good. we got off the phone. Yeah, I don't know what I'll make. Maybe I'll make a challah. It's a day late, but that's okay. Why not? Yeah, um, I've got eggs. I've got yeast. Yeah, um, Alex, I want my guests to be able to find you. How? Or sorry, I want my listeners to be able to find <laughs> you. How can they find your work? Yeah, so I'm uh, at Alex Danis. Uh, which is D-A-I-N-I-S, all over the internet. So at Alex Danis on Twitter and Instagram, which is where I talk. I would say if you want to find the stuff I'm doing, go there, because that's where I advertise uh, both the videos I make on my own YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash bitesized, spelt S-C-I-Z-E-D, like science, Um, but I also, I'm everywhere on the internet at the moment. I'm like not in one coordinated place. So following me on Twitter is the best place to find where everything I'm doing is. So that's at Alex Danis. Thank you so much, everybody. Please check out a lot of Alex's videos. Uh, I have had the pleasure of making some work with her. It's not out yet, but I can tell you that she is a science communicator par excellence. Uh, she has been on my show, Science the Show which is now up on YouTube, uh, the episode with her. So check that out, Science the Show at YouTube. You can also find us, Science the Show, all over the internet. You can find me at Alex Schiffman or AF Schiffman Instagram. Uh, Not Twitter, although you can find me, but I've been dormant for years. This is, at least there's this. If you like this episode or any other, I have an entire backlog of last season and I'm making new episodes now for quarantine. I would really appreciate it if you send it to people because this show is entirely word of mouth. So if you liked it or if you need some more small good things in your world of hurt, please send this to somebody else. Thank you for stopping by and I hope to talk to you soon. Bye.